So I'd like you to look around for a second. Stare at the people around you, just kind of put a face with a name. Maybe you know the names, maybe you don't. See the people around you, see them. Ask yourself this question. What do you owe them? What do you owe them? Kind of a loaded question a little bit. Whenever you say you're owing someone something, it almost feels like a negative or it feels like this huge obligation. And sometimes it can be negative. We incur debts. Anybody have any debts here that they owe? If we live next to each other long enough, we are going to offend each other, right? Can I get an amen? Right? That's a debt. You took a piece of the trust and relationship that is supposed to exist in that friendship, and you took a slice out. And hopefully there was enough surrounding that slice, enough pie left, that there's still a, a meal there. But maybe not. Maybe it was the last slice, and there's no relationship there. But either way, you're the one holding all the slices. You can give them back. You say, sorry. I recognize that I made a withdrawal from our relationship. I have a debt to you now. I want to make it up to you. AA calls this making amends. The Bible calls this Christianity. We have a debt. And we make it up to God by saying, I recognize that I stole the whole pie for myself and I'm a sinner, but I want to be right with you, and so I give it all back. And I'm not going to keep any slices myself, even if they're tasty. It's yours. You take it. We have to live this way. So sometimes our debts are like penalty debts. We made a withdrawal. If any of us are identifying with that statement right now, they feel, you feel like I'm speaking to you, even though I'm not speaking to anyone in particular, I encourage you today to make a phone call, make a coffee date, write a letter of apology, whatever it takes. Don't keep the pie. It's not yours. And you've taken something that needs to be restored. God felt strongly enough about this that this happened. We need to feel strongly about this. So some of our uh, owing, some of our debts, are we've incurred. But some of the owe that we have to each other is just sort of like promissory. Like, I promise you, if I'm your friend, that I'll be there for you. Right? I promise you, if we're part of the family, that we're going to provide for each other. Uh, I promise you, if I'm your parent, that I'm going to try to nurture you. I promise you that if we're Christians, we will love each other with sacrificial agape love. So it's a promise. It doesn't necessarily mean that there's been a withdrawal. It doesn't necessarily mean that there's been an offense. It's just a promise. So you owe that. We owe that. So take those concepts, apply them to your marriage. What do you owe your spouse? What have you promised? What have you taken? What has broken? Ideally, we all live in unity, and it's good. It's like we're sharing the pie, and it's just on the table in between us, and it's just love. But then the flesh and the world and our enemy, Satan, all conspire against us. And even if our spirit might be willing, sometimes our flesh is weak. And then it's up to us to come back to the table. Say, so here we are again. Give it back. But we need to think about what we owe to each other. What do you owe to your children? Is it to give them every toy that they want? They think so. 
But I hope you don't think so. If you're the breadwinner in your family or one of two parents earning money to provide for the family, do you consider that the end of what you owe your family? I brought home a paycheck, I kept a roof over our head, provided food, let you do the sports that you wanted, let you have the clothes that you wanted, let you live in the town that you wanted, things that are good for you, and so I paid my debt. If we feel like that is true, then over time we're going to be incurring the emotional debt because that is not the end of our responsibility to our families, is to make money but be emotionally and physically absent. And you're going to be incurring this debt, 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 debt. And eventually you'll have children who will be like, why were you never around? I don't know you. Who grow up and live their own lives because as they were growing up, you lived your own life. Cats in the Cradle song, right? We know this. We understand how this works. We need to know what we owe so we can make sure we're still like paying it. We make sure we're responsible for it. Make sure that we know what's owed to us. Sometimes we make unfair demands on others. You're not my friend because you never call me. Both ends of the phone line work. If you needed a friend, make a call. Be like, guess what? I need a friend. You say you're mine. You owe me. It's that simple. But it is a debt. And we can't make withdrawals without also making deposits. We have to be accurate. And so sometimes we get skewed. Like, I want you to always do for me. And we assume that the O is everyone to us. <laughs> we don't recognize that the O is us to everyone also. We just have to know what we've been promised by God. Know what we've promised to God. Know what we've promised. Know what contracts you're under so that you don't violate them and find things falling apart and be like, I didn't realize. Just have to recognize. Just read the covenant again, folks. We read the covenant again. Jesus made in his blood. He dies for us. He forgives us. He promises to bring us to his Father in glory. He promises to give us his spirit. Those are his promises to us, the new covenant. His request, our portion of that, okay, Jesus, I submit. I will receive the word that's been planted in me. I submit to what you will call me to do. I will not fight to have my will. I will learn to beg for your will to be made clear. I will not work on my own strength. I will rely on the strength of your spirit. Ours is the passive role in this relationship with God. He is the doer, he is the starter, he is the founder, he is the completer, he is the author, and he is the perfecter. It is our job to submit, repent, confess, give in, desire. It's the submission role. It's the submission role. So as we're reminded about our covenants this morning, I pray that you will not rebel against the covenants that are in our lives, but you'll just say, okay, God, if this is what you call me to, then I'll do that. No ifs, ands, or buts. Just great. Because if each of us takes responsibility for ourselves, living in fulfillment and agreement of the covenant, that's when we'll all be in fulfillment and agreement of the covenant. That's when it gets good. But when we're just simply putting out debt notices to the people around us, why they haven't fulfilled the covenant, we're never going to get all the way to where we want to be, which is a family around the family table 
with the father sitting at the head of the table being like, hey, kids, how are you? It's a loaded question because he already knows. Can I just read to you one scripture? You don't need to turn there. But it ties in these concepts of adoption that we've been talking about and covenant. So just listen for a second. It's in Romans chapter 9, and it says this. They are the Israelites. Paul is talking about his people. And to them belong the adoption. To them belong the glory. To them belong the covenants. The giving of the law. The worship. And the promises. To them belong all the patriarchs. And from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who's God over all. Blessed forever. Amen. But... Not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. This means it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but it is the children of the promise that are counted as offspring. God chose the Israelites to be the ones that he gave his covenant to, through whom the new covenant and the old covenant came, his promises, adoption into God's family, the glory, all the patriarchs, all of this. But it's not just because that's your DNA family tree that makes you a part of the family of God. Not all who are descended in the family tree are of that family. Not just the children of flesh, it's the children of promise, all who will believe. So we're children of adoption, as we've been talking about with these seven items. What does it look like to be the family of God? But we're also a covenant family. It's two different pictures the Bible gives us to think about what it means for us to be saved, what it means for us to be Christian. One is we've been adopted, and the other is we are contract bearers. We are covenant promise people, with God having made promises to us and us making commitments to him. And that's not dependent upon DNA. That depends on an individual's submission to God. Don't, aren't there plenty of examples in the Old Testament of members of Israel who sinned, who, de- who denied God, who went their own way? Like, and they were all, they suffered punishment and punishment became upon the whole nation of Israel. Like all these things happened. Think of Achan. The whole Israelites' army failed because this one man had stolen stuff and buried it under his tent. And the Holy Spirit said, here it is. This is the man. They went and they dug it up and they found it. He was put to death and God said, I was showing you that not everyone among you was pure and you had a traitor in your midst. Not everyone who's of Israel is of Israel. And not everyone who sits in a Protestant church is of Christ. And not everyone who sits in a Catholic church is of Christ. It's the children of promise. The ones who God says, I know who are my own. His foreknowledge from the beginning of all creation, I know who are my own. His election says, I have pulled these out of the pool, out of this mess. And these are the ones that will respond to me. And I'm going to make sure that they get to the finish line. I'm going to predestine that they get there for my glory, not because of anything that they've done. This is our faith. It's adoption. And it's covenantal. So we have been grafted into the Israelites, into the people of God. 
You know, a person who has grown up Jewish, person who observes the Jewish traditions and accepts Christ, um, one of the phrases for that is a completed Jew, sort of like someone who has the fullness, the old covenant and the new covenant, the DNA heritage of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as well as the faith heritage of God through Christ. It's this fullness, it's this beautiful thing. And Paul had that fullness, and he calls us to recognize we need through faith and through God's promises to enter into that fullness. So I love that verse there. That's nine, Romans 9, 4. Because it talks about both adoption and covenant, ways that we can picture what it looks like for us to be part of God's family. But what I would like to do this morning is take a look really quickly at a covenant renewal ceremony. There are about, there's, there's much debate on this because there's many places in the Bible where it says, I, God says, I promise you this. And, and sometimes he makes promises to individuals. Sometimes they're like these huge earth-changing and history-changing promises. But if we were to look at probably the five or six major ones, you'd say that the first covenant was between God and Adam. It's called the Adamic covenant. I give you this earth. Care for it. That's still binding on us. We're still humans. So I think we still have that covenant. We're in contract with God to care for the earth. Sin warps that, distorts that, wrecks us, wrecks the earth. But that covenant is still binding. The next one that we see in Scripture, Noah, the Noahic covenant. God says, nevermore will I destroy the earth. You and your offspring, because you are righteous in my eyes, I will bless so Noah makes an altar, sacrifices to the Lord. The, the genealogy of the earth starts to pair off again into different peoples and places. But there's a pro- promise from God that stands. That's not based upon sacrificial law. That's not based upon Christ's atonement. That's just God's promise to us. And it's certainly not based on us being pure. <laughs> it can't be conditional, otherwise he'd flood us like every third Wednesday, maybe every fifth minute. I don't know, but it would not be based upon us doing things right. It's a promise from God. I give you this. But now we move forward to Abraham. Now this is a national thing. This is God's chosen people, chosen to be his doorway to the world. I'm going to communicate myself to the world. So Abraham, leave your land, go to the land that I am promising you, and I will make your name great. I will bless your descendants. And through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So that's a promise both for Israel and for the Gentiles as well. Through you, all the nations will be blessed. So this is again, all who will come may come. This is God, I will bless you. It's what I'm going to do. Just follow me. And so Abraham did. He left his homeland. No questions asked. Okay, God. He just went. And it was considered righteousness. That was his faith. That's Hebrews 11 that celebrates that faith of Abraham. But now we get to Moses. For our purposes here, we'll say Moses, David, and then Jesus. (laughs) Those are the major covenants that we could consider. But with Moses, it was specifically, this is what it looks like, humans, to offend me. And this is what it takes to cancel that offense. It's about giving blood for blood. It's about you having a debt to a creator God that you can't atone for. And so the whole sacrificial system was established so that humans could have a picture of what it looks like to atone for their sins. But it kept happening. As soon as you you confessed a sin and you went out, committed another sin, you had to come back to the temple the next day, the next week, yearly, and atone and atone and atone and atone. That covenant 
is no longer standing because of what Christ did. One sacrifice for all. We do not need daily sacrifices of pigeons and goats because the blood of the Son of God was shed for us. So that covenant is not like God's promise for the flood. It's not like our promise and command to care for the earth. That's, this is what atonement looks like. And Jesus is like, this is what atonement is done like, period, on the cross. It is finished. That one doesn't stand. Now, the principles of it, to love God, to seek holiness and purity, those principles do, but how we go about the law, the covenant, the contract, this many doves for this type of sin, that does not stand. Christ is our one sacrifice. We confess, we say, Jesus, forgive me. And because of his blood shed, every sin is forgiven. David, I will send King David's covenant. I will send of your genealogy one who will be the Messiah. I will give you this kingdom, this land that's here, you will rule over, and eventually one will come from you who will rise up and he will have an everlasting kingdom. That's a promise. That is a promise. And God fulfilled it, which brings us to Jesus. We already read his establishment of the new covenant. So generally, there's like two covenants, two contracts, old covenant and new covenant, but that's an oversimplification because God is in the business of covenanting with people. He is a covenantal God, right? Great is your what? We sung? Faithfulness, his steadfastness, his long-suffering. He upholds his end of the bargain every time. Faithfulness. We uphold our end of the bargain about 0.01% of the time. That's humanity. But God says, I love these little unworthy people. They're, they're my precious, precious sheep. So stupid and so beautiful. I love those sheep that I've made. I don't expect them to not be sheep, but I want them to listen to my voice. I'm going to send them the shepherd. They'll follow his voice. Some won't. They'll run off the cliff here and there, but some will. The good shepherd. The new covenant. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. And they know me. So these are our covenants. How often do we break the Adamic covenant? Ruin this earth that we've been given to caretake for. How often do we break the Noahic covenant? Continue to sin and God has to continue his forbearance. Moses, we're not so much responsible for, but how often do we not come to Christ in the new covenant and say, here I am, Jesus, the way you've taught me to pray, forgive me my sins the way I forgive others. How often do we not even live like we're kingdom people, even though God has promised that we're going to be kingdom people with kingdom power and kingdom authority and kingdom gifts and kingdom healings and kingdom wisdom and king, everything Holy Spirit in us here and in the fullness forever. We don't live that way. How often do we fall short? How often do we not even remember we're a part of that covenant? So throughout history, there have been these moments of covenant renewal, and that's what I would like to challenge us to do this morning. I would like to read one from the book that we are studying for quite a few months there, the book of Nehemiah. It's one of the many times in Scripture where you have these covenant renewals. So would you turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 8, and can we look through and skim through? It's really 8, 9, and 10, three whole chapters of what this covenant looked like but I'd like to present it to us as an example of what we're supposed to do. I always like comparing our faith with God with um, a marriage covenant. I feel like it's a great parallel. Lots of 
similarities between those. But if you only told your spouse on your wedding day, I love you and I promise my love to you, you're not doing a good job with that covenant. It needs to be reminded. There need to be symbols of remembrance that we look at and we're like, right. There needs to be repetition, renewal of that covenant. It's binding, but we forget what's expected of us, what we owe. So it's good. It's right for us to just be like, you know what? We fail. Okay. So we dropped the ball on this covenant. We didn't love as a church the way we're called to. True. Okay. Was that the end of the story? Is that like eternal failure? No, it's just a reality check. That's why we do communion again and again, remembrance of me. Let's reset. Nothing's too far. No one's too lost. Nothing's too damaging. Nothing's too deep, too high. No, it's God we're talking about. We just reset. Failure. (sighs) Sorry, Father. Sorry, family. Renew. It's okay to fail because you're not getting to heaven because you're going to succeed. Does that make sense? Everyone follow that? It's okay to fail because you're not getting to heaven just because you succeed. Jesus is not waiting for you to get perfect to then say, okay, I've got you. He's just got you. So failure is actually part of the deal. Let's own it. We fail. Okay. Permission granted to fail. You are not Jesus. Right. That should be such a relief. Such a relief. I failed. But I'm not a failure. I failed. That's not going to stop me getting where I'm going. I failed. God hasn't failed. I failed. Jesus hasn't failed. I failed. It's not too late for me. That's pretty encouraging. That's grace. That's what we believe. That's, that's it right there. So you know the story of Ezra and Nehemiah. We've preached through it. I won't do too much in terms of prefacing. I actually just really want to skim through this and encourage you to read your Bibles more than just for a half an hour on a Sunday morning. This would be a great thing for us to read together this week. This is the point in the story in Nehemiah where all the Jews have come back, where Nehemiah coordinated them and they built up the walls and the Ezra is there and they've reestablished the temple worship and so we've got sacrifices happening again. This is still under the old covenant so they're being faithful to the old covenant as faithful as they can be and trusting God with grace for the rest and uh, they get to a point where they realize we've been so scattered we need to hit the reset, reset button as a nation. The equivalent of that is us as a church saying we need to hit the reset, restore, renew, revival button as a church. And the way you do that is just say, okay, God, we failed in these ways. but You are great and mighty. You've brought us out of so much. You've delivered us from so much. You've given us so much. So in that spirit of our littleness and your greatness, we come to you again and we renew our vows. Sorry, please forgive. I promise. That's what a covenant renewal is. And they do it here. We should do it today. Nehemiah 8.1 starts, it says, And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses. 
that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read it from it, facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday. Ah, I get to preach for long, long, long periods of time. It's fantastic. Preach it all morning long. Read it till midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. That's our job. Listen, accept, submit. So Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform they had made for the purpose. All these people around him. Verse 5, he opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood, a nation getting to their feet, rising like like a, a coliseum worth of people just standing and rising in honor of the word of God. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, all these other people helped to understand the law. These are the teachers, the preachers, the priests. All these helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. So there's people scattered. What'd that mean? What's that mean? Oh, okay, okay, that's what's expected of me. That's our covenant. Okay, what about that? I don't understand that. Let me explain. Verse 8. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense of it so that the people understood the reading. That's the definition of preaching. Here's what God says, and here's the sense of it. Can, can you grasp like what it means for you, what we're supposed to do with it? how it opens our eyes to things, but what it calls us to action as well, we understand the sense of it. That's preaching. Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and the scribe, and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Why do you think they were weeping? You get it, right? They just recognized it didn't look like what they looked like. Law of God. It, we hear it. We should fall over. If while I'm reading this, somebody fall into the aisle, praise God. Are we ever struck to the core in that way? Still God. You've got to be struck by God or you don't really understand who God is. Where do we start? Start with God. Everything else makes sense from there. People wept. But he said, don't cry. This is good. We're renewing the covenant. You failed? Awesome. Today, this day is holy to the Lord. We repent and we reset. God's the great God. Verse 13. On the second day, the heads of all the fathers, houses of all the people, with the priests and Levites, came together to Ezra and the scribe in order to study the words of the law. Verse 15, that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns. And they made booths the first of the festival of the booths. Actually, no, not the first, the observance of it. Moses established that. Verse 18, and day by day from the first day to the last day, 
you read from the book of the law. They kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day there was a solemn assembly. Just going back to God, be like, all right, God, speak to us. God, speak to us. God, speak to us. Where are you? Where are we? What does it look like for those things to come and intersect? We don't want you to be here and us to be going this way. We want to be going like this. We failed. Okay. You are great and you are holy. Restore to us the joy of our salvation. It's good news. The gospel's good. It's good. It's good. King David said, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. I want to see some joyful Christians, despite the fact that we fail. Failure is part of the contract. God is great, and we just come to him and restore, we renew. Confession is always the first step to repentance. Repentance is guaranteed to lead to forgiveness. And grace is the track that makes it all work. So what I would like is for each of us to simply take a few minutes now to bow our heads and to think about what we owe God. What we owe each other as the family of God And it should look very much like these things that we said define the family of God and what we owe the world around us. Because it's love God and love your neighbor. And neighbor doesn't just mean nice Christian friends. Neighbor means unhelpful, ungodly people within arm's reach. Neighbor. With God, have you loved him? Have you listened to him? Do you serve him? Are you sharing your heart with him? Are you recognizing where he's at work and going for that? Are you pursuing God? Are you praying? This is your contract. This is the family of God. We've defined this for two or three weeks now. So if this is it and any of it doesn't match up with us, okay, God, failure. He says, all right, cross. This is what church family is supposed to look like. Do we love each other, have affection, generally just love each other? Do we listen to each other? Are we serving each other? Are we sharing our hearts with one another? Are we recognizing God's fingerprints all over one another? Are we pursuing one another? Are we praying with one another? If not, this is what we owe each other. I owe you that, all of that. You owe me that, all of that. We owe each other all. That's just what it looks like. It's the contract. It's the covenant. It's the family. But it's not just between us and God. It's not just in this nice little chapel with the comfy seats. It's the world. Do you love the precious lost around us? Do you listen to the needs of the people around you? Do you serve people who don't love God or care about you? Do you share your life with no thought of what you get back in return? Are you recognizing the needs that are in the world? Are you pursuing opportunity. How can I help? I'm in this world. I got to do something. Are you praying for the people around you, your neighbors, your co-workers, the people who are homeless that we're getting to become closer friends with, the foster care children that we're getting to be closer? Do you pray? You owe them that. I owe them that. This is an us thing. It's not a me and you. This is just family. what family looks like. God's the father. We're all kids. I'm a kid. You're a kid. My job as Ezra this morning is just to open up the word and say, we need to renew the covenant. Recognize what we owe. And no one is exempt, no matter how old you are, or how young you are, or how long you've been in the faith. It's the same covenant for all of us, and it's the new covenant in Christ's blood. 
So will you please just take a few moments and bow your heads? Try to use these words to like spark a thought. The Holy Spirit does that. He'll take something and he'll make it like stick. <laughs> like, oh, that thing. If there's any of that in any of this. Confess it. That's what we came here for. Jesus, it's all about your blood. We failed. Okay, great. But let's recommit. Please, take some time to pray, and then we'll close with a song. And God will do a new thing based on our renewal of our vows.